0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. You're looking so good. So nice to come in and see pretty faces. Can you imagine how hard this would be if I had to look at ugly faces all the time? I mean, that would just that would just be a challenge. Well, I just I'm not going to touch that, brother. I'll let you deal with that. It is good to see you this morning, precious souls made in the image of God. How about that? Isn't that something? Amen. Well, we're glad that you came today. We're glad that you're watching online, if you can be with us today. And we're just a blessed folks, aren't we? Just blessed to be able to gather together and uh, blessed to be the people of God. And so we never want to forget that. Several things I want to make mention of. We got a lot to celebrate. In fact, uh, we just finished. I say we, I did a very small part, but we just finished packing 1,089 D shoeboxes. 1,089 shoe boxes. Now, that wasn't all on Friday, okay? This lady and her team and those of you who came in throughout the year uh, did that many boxes. That's a record number for us, right? Am I right about that, Dee? That is correct. And I got a text from a friend of mine who was in church in Corinth. One of her youths had come and held back, but that didn't work out. But they have boxes to drop off. So okay. And speaking of boxes, um, one of the things we do need help with after the service uh, and tomorrow is right after the service, if you can help us just bring the empty containers back upstairs, that would be very helpful. I know that will probably get more people than it did last week when we wanted the heavy ones to go downstairs. Hamp and I took care of that, along with Harry and uh, Diana and others. Uh, But bring the empty containers back up. And then tomorrow, uh, we don't want to load anything in the trailer right now uh, because it's supposed to rain and the trailer gives us a little bit of leak problem some So if you have any time tomorrow around 11 o'clock in the morning, can you come and help us to put the boxes? Now, they're in crates this time, big boxes, so it'll be much quicker. We can use a hand truck, and uh, so come and help us with that. If you have a hand truck, bring it with you. It'll be a real blessing, okay? Yes, I see that hand. Please let Pastor Hamp know who's coming so we'll have a good idea. Also, several other things here I want to mention. Don't forget to continue to pray for Brother Danny, Danny Vaya, as we're considering him as an elder. mentioned that last week. And so we're in our 30 days now, and that'll be coming up at, at, to a conclusion in December. But just continue to pray for that situation. And then also, you should have gotten this me, uh, email from me through Thea to give uh, notice to a code drive for uh, some school children. That's going to be, the last day will be November 29th. If you haven't gotten that information, just let us know, and we'll send that back out to you. You don't want to cover all those details right now but that's a code drive in the last day is november 29th Uh, we are also asking for help with meals for potchum this year you know in the past we've had housing we've housed uh, the men here uh, excuse me the, the ladies here not doing that this year it's a little different due to all the covid things so they're just wanting meals from churches and so our week is january 16th through the 22nd again you should have gotten that by way of email if you did not let us know after the service and we can give you those updates uh, if you're having dinner, Thanksgiving dinner with the Halls uh, on Thanksgiving Day, please make sure you let Pastor Hemp know that. You should have gotten an email about that as well a couple weeks ago, but make sure you let him know uh, that you're coming. Uh, we are having a Christmas Eve service. That'll be at 5 p.m. this year, okay? So uh, if somebody can tell me what the date for Christmas Eve is this year, we'll, we'll go with that. Oh, good. Some of you are awake, <laughs> okay? Some of you are awake. That'll be at 5 p.m. Christmas Eve. Now, one other thing I want to mention, this has been on my heart for a while, a long time, actually a year or better, and that is to gather our men together, young or old. I want to see if you'll come join us on December the 4th at 6 p.m. Not here at the church, but some of you all remember Brother Josh Grimsley and Nikki, who are part of our church here. They have a a nice place, a farm, uh, that they're welcoming us to come. And I just would ask you men... Put that on your calendar and come for just a couple hours. Uh, weather permitting, we'll have a rain date if we need to. Uh, but that's December the 4th at 6 p.m. at the Grimsleys. We'll get you directions. But I just want to gather our men together and have a time of, uh, of fellowship. And we'll be careful through all the things we need to be careful with. But uh, put that on your calendar, if you will. Okay. I just think that it'll be a, a precious time for us right here at the end of the year. Now. Lastly, we missed uh, Veterans Day because that was during the week, Uh, but we certainly want to honor those of you who were veterans. So uh, any of you who have served in the military, uh, armed forces, please raise your hand. All right, yeah, good number of you. Those of you, certainly we have members in our family and those that we've known have served in the the armed services. So thank you for your service. Uh, We are indebted to you without question. Uh, We did find a little video that was newly done this year. There's lots of them out there, but I particularly like this one. So Christy's going to show us this right quick.
1: Therefore, let us remember. Remember those who serve. Me. Remember those
0: Very well done. Very well done. All right. Well, again, welcome. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's get started in what the Lord would have for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for this great opportunity that we have to worship you freely this morning, and we thank you for our Savior, the one, as we just heard about, gave his life for us that we might have eternal freedom and have abundant life in this world. Lord, we honor you this morning and we pray as always that you would open our hearts and help us to hear the truth that you would have for us today. Lord, may we be forever changed. And Lord, thank you for those that have served for us in this country. And Lord, thank you for those that have given their lives in sacrifice for us. And Lord, may we also live in sacrifice as faithful servants of yours so that the lost can be redeemed and so that they will hear the gospel and give their lives to you. Father, we thank you for this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay, well, we are back in Matthew chapter 6 from our break last week. felt like that was necessary to just cover some things just as a comfort to our hearts. And hopefully that was the case with you. And uh, it's just good to be together this morning. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about a subject that really has become one of my favorite subjects over the years. And this is for me personally. Uh, because it leads into another subject that is very dear to each of us. Uh, We're going to talk about our possessions, our money, our stuff this morning, okay? And then we're going to talk next time, Lord willing, about the anxiousness that can often come to us as a result of our stuff. So uh, let's stand up and read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, as Jesus continues his sermon from that hillside many years ago. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where thieves do not break in or steal. But for for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then that light, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. All right, amen. You may be seated. Very simple, but very, very profound words from the Lord. So right from the beginning here, let's just be really honest with ourselves, okay? Will you do that with me? You agreed to be honest with yourself today? Okay, you said, well, it depends on what you're going to tell me, Pastor, right? <laughs> and then I'll let you know. Okay, well, you know, as the Lord is continuing His message here, He's zeroing in again on the heart. That's what He's always after. The Lord is always after our hearts. And He makes His point, just to give you a little outline here, He makes His point in the first couple verses there, and He's going to give two illustrations to support His point. Just so you have that kind of in your mind. Now, again, before we begin, let's just make sure how there is a truth among all of us that we may not like to admit, but it is very, very true. And that is, as human beings, we love our stuff, right? We love our stuff. We are people of possessions. There's no question about that. And there are various reasons for that. Some have a love for their stuff, or their things, because they just have that insatiable desire to have their physical hands on something. People just are overwhelmed with buying because they just love to touch and to feel and to have something tangible that they can call their own. Some people love their stuff because of the thing that it does for them. It gives them some sense of betterment about themselves, so they feel better. And they feel better about themselves more than they do others, in fact, often at times. For others, sometimes having more things means more control, more power. I can one-up you if I have more than you do. I may not say that with my words, but I can feel that at times, and I'll know that I am doing better than you, and so I feel dominant over the next guy or the next girl the next woman who has the next thing in line, but I feel better about myself. For others, it is just simply about their identity. Some people will say, oh, no. Uh, I have to have this or that because it's who I am. People will go out and they'll buy cars, they'll buy houses, they'll buy land, they'll buy all kinds of things in order to have something that tells people who they are. And it just is an unlimited list of what people will do. And the bigger the better in people's minds. And it doesn't always have to be the exchanging of money. Sometimes people will do trade, sometimes they'll steal for it. It doesn't matter but it becomes a matter of their identity and the proof of all of that is everywhere and i don't have to tell you this this is not a new subject for any of us every generation since adam has accumulated things and that's when sin entered into the world and things became our god and we got latched on to these things people have pursued wealth for their own selfish gain oftentimes as just in addition to the other things that i was mentioning and some people have even left others over their possessions. How many husbands and wives have fought tooth and nail over their things, the possessions? One feels this way about this, the other one feels that way about that, and, and many homes have been divided over that. Families external to the husband and wife have fallen apart over possessions, inheritances, and Boy, there are just demons that love to talk about inheritances and who's going to get what and who's not going to get what. In fact, even churches have fallen apart over things. How many times have we heard stories about churches separating and dividing, not because of the Word of God, but because of the stuff, because of somebody's belief that the wall should be this color and the carpet should be that color and we should do this or that with the building? And people have greatly divided over those kinds of things. I mean, literally, people build their lives around what they have. It is true. People build their lives over what they accumulate. They identify with themselves and for others, to others, what they have. And it has an enormous effect on everybody. All of us this morning are affected in some way by the things that we have. Now, that is a truth you may not accept right now, But the Lord wants us to understand that very clearly. I read an interesting article this week uh, from Greater Good Magazine. It was done back in 2018. The title is, How Money Changes the Way You Think and Feel. You say, uh, it's not going to affect me. Well, it affects some. So let's listen to this because this is actually based on research. The article that this lady wrote is about seven things you should know about the psychology of money and wealth number one she says more money less empathy in a study by UC Berkeley they found that fake money could make people behave with less regard to others researchers observed that when two students played monopoly one having been given a great deal more monopoly money than the other the wealthier player expressed initial discomfort but then went on to act aggressively, taking up more space and moving his pieces more loudly and even taunting the player with less money. And I, those of you who have never played Monopoly are laughing, right? No, you're laughing because you've played Monopoly and this was probably you who answered the research questions on the subject. I had a cousin of mine that used to just love to be the banker and he would love doling out the money and he would love taking the money from you. So it is a very serious thing, and I think it's actually correct. Here's the second thing that the article says. Wealth can cloud moral judgment. Again, UC Berkeley found that in San Francisco, where the law requires that cars stop at crosswalks for pedestrians to pass, drivers of luxury cars were four times less likely than those in less expensive vehicles to stop and allow pedestrians the right-of-way. They were also more likely to cut off other drivers. So I now know who you are who are doing this. Those of you who drive the big fancy cars are the people who keep cutting in front of me. That's the issue. Here's the third thing. Wealth is also linked to addiction. Studies also found that kids who come from wealthy parents aren't necessarily exempt from adjustment problems. In fact, research found that on several measures of maladjustment, high school students of high socioeconomic status received higher scores than inner city students. Researchers found that these children may be more likely to internalize problems, however, which has been linked with substance abuse. So there is some linkage there, according to the research study, with money. Number four, money itself can become addictive. So not only does it cause addictions, but it can become addictive. A psychologist explained a compulsory need to acquire money is often considered a part of a class of behaviors known as process addiction or behavioral addictions, which are distinct from substance abuse. It's interesting now, and you may not have ever had that problem, but uh, nonetheless, money is a big issue for a lot of people. How many of you all like to watch the show Shark Tank? Ever seen that before? Yeah, it's great. It's about these young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs that have started some kind of business and they're coming to get some investment from the sharks. And uh, it's real, real uh, deals that go on. But there's one guy who's kind of the head of it all. At least he seems to be. He sits in the middle. His name is Kevin O'Leary. You know what I'm talking about? Mr. Wonderful. One of the things he constantly promotes about himself is how he loves, loves, loves money. Money, 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 money. And I thought about him as we were going through this, as I was going through this article, and I found some quotes by Kevin O'Leary, and one of them was, right at the top, I love money. Some others are, think the way money thinks. This is some of his statements to others. He says, the ultimate truth about money, even though it doesn't care about me or you, you, to make money requires us to care deeply about it. How about that? And this one's kind of comical, but it's true nonetheless. Here's how I think about money, soldiers. I send them out to war every day. I want them to take prisoners and come home so there's more of them. When you have no soldiers, you're wiped out. That's the game of life. And that's true, isn't it? There's a lot of truth to that. He says the message is the medium and the medium is what? Money. It's true. How about this though? This is kind of sad. I'm not planning on giving my kids any of my wealth. So anyway, I don't know. I mean, this is what he says, but nonetheless, he sure promotes that on, on the television show. And I think it's indicative, really, of people in general. Most people, and we're not talking about everybody, and that's the way statistics work, but in people in general have this grand affection to money, or let's just say possessions, the things of life. Number five, wealthy children may be more troubled, and that's kind of... Normal here for what we're saying. Children who grow up in wealthy families may seem to have it all, but having it all may come at a high cost. Wealthier children tend to be more distressed than lower-income kids and are at high risk for anxiety, depression, substance abuse, eating disorders, cheating, and stealing. Research has also found high instances of binge drinking and marijuana use among the children of low-income two-parent white families there's even the last one she puts here that I thought was interesting. Lower income people tend to perceive the wealthy as evil. And she goes on to explain that. So we say, really? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, people are greatly affected by money. You and I are greatly affected by the things that we have. And it was no different in Jesus' day. And that's why he's addressing the subject. But the very people, as we have been seeing, who should have known better and should have been different... Were the very religious leaders who were leading the people, but were grossly misleading the people when it comes to, or it came to, their hands getting on possessions. In fact, Jesus said of them in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Now, that phrase really captivated me, and I did a little bit of thinking, and I thought about how people love one another. So I want you to think about lovers just for a minute, not in a a weird way, but just think about a person who is a lover of someone or something. You and I both know that someone who's infatuated with someone, who rather who loves someone, is very infatuated with that person. I mean, they just consume their minds, they consume their thoughts and their thinking and their feelings. Uh, That's because they have a certain kind of relationship with that lover to the point where their emotions are greatly affected, right? That is very true. They are swayed by their decisions, by their lover's decisions, and whether you want to make this an inanimate object like money or possessions or whether we're talking about a person. In fact, people are even willing to change for their lover and not always change in a positive way. There's a lot of negative changes that come. Some of those are changes in the way they believe about things when we are really in love with someone we will go to great lengths to try to adapt to their way of thinking because we know that if we don't we're going to have problems in the home right we're going to have problems in the relationship people will change the way they work the way they live everything people will do just about anything for their lover some people will even kill for their lover and it's true How many stories are written for television? How many books have been written about cops and robbers and people that do what they do because of money, because they are in love with money? People will lie for it. They'll cheat for it. They'll even use it for their own sinful pleasures. In every area of life, beloved, people are consumed by their treasures, by their possessions. you're saying, now, Pastor Bruce, come on, you know me, you know better than that. That is not me at all. And I would say to you, I certainly hope that's true. I hope you're one of the unique people who is not affected by the things that you have. But I beg to differ that you will be. You are, in fact, affected by it. In fact, if I were to say to you this morning, unbeknownst to you, I have achieved all of your bank account numbers. Some people think that about preachers anyway. I have gotten into every investment account that you have. And I have personally withdrawn everything that you own. In fact, right now while you're here, I have people at your home removing all of your possessions. <laughs> you have no car, you have no clothing, you have no utensils. Kind of like the Grinch who stole Christmas. I'm going to take the last pea that falls on the ground. Okay? Now if that were true, and you knew it to be true, instantly everything for you would change, right? It's just a fact. And you know it's a fact so whether you think those other things apply to you or not you are affected by your possessions there's absolutely no question about it sadly for most people money becomes very important perhaps even the most important thing that you have on your mind most of the time and that's reality now before we want to be before we go on we don't want to be confusing about any of this stuff so we want to make sure that you're understanding that having money is not the issue here. So let's be clear about that. And I'll repeat this several times over. Money is not the issue. Money is just a thing. Possessions are just a thing. Now, in our right minds, we know that, and we would acknowledge that. In fact, we would also acknowledge that there have been many people God has given to us in Scripture who have had lots of things. We have Abraham, we have David, we have Solomon, we have Job, we have a lot of other people that are people who were after God's heart who had a lot of things. So money and possessions are not what God is talking about here. They are not a measurement of anything. We've got to get that in our heads. And that's where we go wrong. Money or possessions are just a tool. They're just a tool for us to live in this life. In fact, it is God, would you be surprised rather, that it is God who gives wealth? God is the one who gives the possessions. In fact, in Deuteronomy 8... Verse 18, when Moses was giving the law to the children of Israel, God said this to him, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. God is the one who gives power to make wealth. Now, if it's God who does that, then surely God is not talking that possessions or money are wrong or bad or evil. Proverbs ten twenty it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. There are people who are greatly wealthy. And they are believers. And they understand that all of this comes from the Lord. And that's what God is saying through the proverb here. Listen, if you understand that money is just a tool, possessions are just a tool for you to survive in this life, they're no measurement of who you are, then your heart is not sorrowful over that, right? It is a joy to you to have riches because you know what God wants you to use them for. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 8. For she, talking about Israel, does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. In other words, God is saying through the prophet Hosea, Israel missed it. I'm the one who gave them everything that they have. They unfortunately followed the way of Baal and did wickedly but it is true that wealth and money can often and often is a predictor an indicator of the inner person that is greatly true and we just talked about that it can be very much a problem leading people away from God and I think this is why the Lord addresses this because he knows this so well instead of people coming to him which is what Israel should have done Israel was led away by the very people that should have known differently and because of their own sinful natures they were led away and it was just highly emphasized and promoted more when they saw their leaders living this way. And so Jesus knew that he needed to address it, which is why Proverbs 23:4 says, "Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it." In other words, remember folks, you can hear Jesus if I'm him, he's saying, "Wealth is just a tool." It's almost like he would say, "Repeat after me. Wealth is just a tool." So get it out of your head about worrying about it. It's just something that's necessary for you to get along with in life. Proverbs 28, 20, we'll read these again. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. One of the Proverbs that I won't read for you right now, but it basically says this. A poor man goes to bed and gets a good night's rest. A rich man lays awake at night wondering who's going to take it from him. That's pretty much what this proverb is saying here. Later, Paul will say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 those who want to get rich, you hear the emphasis of the heart here, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. What's Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, listen, when you become the instructor of God's word, instruct the people to understand. Money, possessions are just a tool. But if they're not careful, it's going to lead them away from God and it will be great destruction for them. Hebrews 13.5 says, Make sure that your character, again, notice the emphasis here, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. God is speaking to the heart. So the point is, again, money is nothing more than a means to an end. It is not the end itself. And that is so contrary to our culture, isn't it? It is so contrary to our human nature. Again, we could just go through so many things to point that out. The best emphasis, though, is always scripture. So Paul says to Timothy again, First Timothy 6, for we brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. I was telling the first service, I have never once done a funeral service for anybody who is taking all of their possessions with them. I know some people have tried, and there's lots of illustrations online and books that you can read about funny things that people have done, but the bottom line is you and I know the possessions stay behind and the people die and their bodies rot in the grave. Paul says in verse 8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, here it is again, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Many people have been confused by that. It's not the money. Money is the source of the evil heart coming out. It's not the money that's the problem, it's the heart. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many How many people have done just that? They've pierced themselves through. Don't you just love the imagery the Lord uses? They pierced themselves through because they were so infatuated by their stuff. So, as God's people, we don't want to be victims of money. We don't want to be victims of possessions. We want to use those things for the glory of God. So you say, how do I do that? How do I make sure that I'm measuring my heart correctly? which really becomes Jesus' emphasis here. How do I measure my heart correctly? Well, number one, examine your greatest treasures. You have to examine. You've got to start there. Start asking yourself the question, what are my greatest treasures in this life? What are my greatest treasures? What are the things that I focus my heart and my mind and my soul on the most? And that will help be a good indicator for you. Notice what Jesus says here, though, as a negative command. Do not, this is verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, do not store up or put away treasures for yourself. Now, that's a very straightforward command, which would have been something that people would have known from Proverbs again. Proverbs 23, 4, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. That's what we just saw a minute ago. Proverbs 28, 20, here it is again. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Someone said this, if we wanted to get it clear. Do not make earthly things the treasury that you treasure. Do not make earthly things the treasury that you treasure. If we're going to say it more literally, or more in our common vernacular, we would say... Jesus is saying, don't hoard things for yourself. Don't hoard things for yourself. Don't stockpile for yourself. Now, to stockpile means to pile it up, right? Anytime we use the phrase stockpile, we understand, in the image of my mind, I see this pile of dirt out there and we're stacking it up. Well, that's what it means to stockpile. And it's being stockpiled because it's not being used for anything. That's why it's piling up right? That makes sense. It's there because it has some value, but it's only there in case it needs to be used or if there's a problem. It's stored for safekeeping. So the idea from Jesus here in the stockpiling of things for ourselves is not positive. That's why it's a negative command. To store for ourselves leaves others out, right? People are left out. And God doesn't want that. God is all about togetherness and helping one another. And so we could say that it is a selfish storage. And unfortunately, usually, usually, the reason things are stored is because the person wants to be lazy Right? They want to have a time of laziness. They want to have a time where they're resting and not having to deal with something. Well, there's not a sense of wrongness in that. There is a right part of all of that. But that's not Jesus' point here. The point is, when you overindulge yourself, it's really because you're just thinking about yourself, typically speaking. And the Lord says, don't do that. Don't do that because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. If I use my brother-in-law as an example, whom you've been praying for, and we keep getting good reports, praise the Lord. But you and I don't know when we may fall off of a 30-foot tower. You say, I know, and I'm not going to fall off a 30-foot tower, Pastor, because I'm never going to be up there. Well, that's good. Good for you. But you understand the point. You don't know when you're going to get cancer. You don't know when you're going to be in a car wreck. You don't know when something's going to happen. You're smart enough to realize that. So the Lord says, make sure that you're putting your focus in the right place. Now, again, before we get too confused, the Lord's not advocating either that to be poor makes you more spiritually wealthy. In other words, you're not a better person because you have nothing, spiritually speaking. That's not the issue either. And that would be a ridiculous thought, really, again, because money is not the issue. We've already pointed that out. Money is neutral. Jesus is dealing with the heart. He's always dealing with the heart. But when money or possessions is the subject, the heart is exposed for what it is. And let's look at some some examples of what I'm talking about here. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. If you can't find your place quickly enough, just look on the screen. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Someone came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Boy, that's a good question, isn't it? That's an honest question. And Jesus said to him, why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into a life, keep the commandments. And then the man says to him, well, which ones? Jesus said, okay. He goes through the list here. You shall not commit a murder. You shouldn't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's he doing? He's giving the the 10 commandments, right? Then the young man said, well, all these things I've kept what am I still lacking? In other words, this guy was right on schedule with doing what God required. And Jesus said, well, if you wish to be really complete, in other words, you really want to be what God wants, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And then the sad indictment. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. The problem in this parable, in this story really, is that not the money, it was the young man's heart. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. He's not pointing out that it was wrong for the young man to have anything. And we'll see that again in just a minute through another example. He's pointing out to this young man, your problem is the heart. Yes, you've kept all of these laws. You've done a good job with that. He doesn't deny that. But he gives him this other test and says, okay, let's see where your heart really is. Because God knows where our heart is is where our treasures will be and where our treasures will be is where our heart will be. Isn't that what he said in our study for today? The Lord knows that. So again, there's nothing wrong though with wealth or having material blessings and that's what God proves to us here. And in fact, he proves it again in the New Testament, I mean in the the, uh, Ten Commandments. In fact, when he says, don't take from your neighbor. Well, God through that statement is saying it's not wrong for us to have things. We try to be the judge of what's right and what's wrong when it comes to having certain things. God is not concerned about what we have or don't have. The issue is the heart. And one of those other examples that I was talking about comes from Acts chapter 5 with two people named Ananias and Sapphira. You know the story if you've studied scripture, but if you haven't, I'll give you the context. And that is in the early pages of Acts, we're told that The church in Jerusalem was just beginning to start. The Holy Spirit had come on the people's lives and lots of people were there in Jerusalem. They had left their homes in other parts of the land and they were so excited by their new faith that they were staying there. Well, that caused financial problems for them. They didn't have the money to support themselves. But God worked in the hearts of the people of the church there and they began to pool their resources and began to provide for one another just as what we should do. But there was these two right after this. And it's so interesting that this comes right after that whole beautiful picture of giving and how the church provided amply for everything that everybody had need of. We have this sad story. So let's read it together in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But a man, and notice the conjunction there, but, and that's there because it comes right on the heels of what was so wonderfully being done. God gives us this negative, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and that's what the people were doing to provide, if you remember, and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? while it remained unsold, now listen carefully, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? In other words, Ananias, listen, it wasn't wrong for you to have property. It was already yours, right? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? In other words, you could have done with the money what you wanted to do. God doesn't care about that, as long as it's godly. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart, though? You've not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yeah, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out as well and immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last and the young man came in and found her husband dead and he carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came on the whole church and over all who heard of those things now what was the fear all about well the fear wasn't because they had what they had it wasn't wrong for them to make the money off of the sale of the land that's not a problem or even to keep some of the money from the sale of the land that wasn't the problem The problem was the way that they had promised to God and not fulfilled their vow. Their heart was the issue. They lied to God, which is what Peter brings out to them. Because they really wanted to try to hold on to something that no longer rightfully belonged to them because they had promised it to God. And so they lost their lives for it. That's why the people were so fearful. because. They saw what God was doing, and they knew that God was very serious about the things that we hold on to as possessions when we have said that we were giving them to Him. Here's another example in 1 Timothy 6. We saw some of this already, but I'm going to read it again. Beginning in verse 17 Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. And ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Well, I'm bringing this out again just as another example because here the Lord is not again commanding anyone who is rich to get rid of it. That's not what the Lord is saying. Hey, for all of you rich people out there, you need to get rid of it so that you can be really spiritual. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is make sure that you're generous with what God has given you so that your focus is on the Lord's work not on your own work. To store up in heaven, not here. If you want to have a bank account, bankroll your money in heaven where it's going to last for eternity. So again, it's not wrong if you're thinking this to make investments, to be wise about what you do. It's not wrong to invest in the stock market as long as you understand that you could lose potentially what you put in there. If you have it, then go ahead. It's not evil to do that. It's certainly not wrong to plan for your future financially. It's not wrong to make money in your business, even if you make boatloads of money in your business. There's nothing wrong with that. Or even to save for certain things. It's not wrong to work and gain material things for what you get. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 speaks to that. What God is after, beloved, is your heart. Your heart through your things. Because He knows when He has your heart you will support his work, right? You will support his work. You'll give to people in need. You'll share with those people who have no means to help themselves. You will go out of your way, out of a loving, gracious heart to do what is necessary so that other people can have what they need and what they don't have. There's a cute and beautiful little story that I want to read to you here that was done back in uh, some years ago. It says in 1995... The nation was stunned when news broke that an elderly woman named Osceola McCarty. you know that name? I don't know that. But here's what she did. She donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi for their scholarship fund. This 87-year-old woman had been forced to drop out of school in the sixth grade to care for her family. For more than 60 years, she made a living washing clothes for hire in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Serving as much as she could from her, uh, saving as much as she could from her meager pay, she wanted others to have the opportunity for the education she never received. So she gave away the money she had saved for so many years. Isn't that precious? It's sweet, isn't it? But really, the better in my mind, biblical is the biblical illustration of the widow's might. If you know the story, there Jesus is really upset about the treasury, and if you know the temple situation, the people were to bring their treasures. To the Lord. There was a requirement there that God did give in the law. He removed that requirement, but there was the need for people to bring. And there was a lot of extortion that was going on from those people who were there in the temple. And in Luke 21, Jesus looks up and he sees this, the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Okay. Well, they should have been putting their money into the treasury, but then he sees a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he says to the disciples, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they out of all their surplus, their stockpile, put into their offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Complete abandonment. Total faith and trust in the Lord. Listen, if you want to know what God detests, God detests people who are greedy. He detests selfishness. He cannot stand people who keep things for themselves, hoarders. God does not like that. Now, there's another story that I read that I think really fits aptly well here again. You may not see yourself in the story. You may not think it's very funny, but I think you may feel the sting of it just a little bit as I read this. It's called A Bad Dream. The story is told of a man who had a horrible dream. He said, I dreamed that the Lord took my Sunday offering and multiplied it by 10. And this became my weekly income. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? He says, but in no time I lost my TV, had to give up my new car, and couldn't even make my house payment. After all, what can a fellow do on $10 a week? Yikes. 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 He goes on to say, if the Lord took your offering, multiplied it by 10, and made that your weekly income, how much would you make? I didn't think you'd laugh very much. That's a staggering indictment, isn't it? You see, these kind of things reveal to us where our heart really is. Is our heart really in the material possessions of this life, or is our heart really in the material wealth of eternity? Paul said to the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, By the grace of God, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice the phrase the Lord says here, as he has purposed in his heart. That's such an important statement to understand. No longer does the Lord require a tithe of us. The Lord requires 100% of us. You see, the Old Testament really got off the hook a lot easier than we do. The tithe, if we were going to teach on that, was about 32% after it was all said and done. And God required that in the law. But when we get to the New Testament, saved under the grace of God, God says, hey, I'm not going to put a number on your giving. I want you to decide. Because when you decide how much you give, you're revealing your heart. And what I want from you is your heart. And when I have your heart, you'll give to me abundantly. You'll meet the needs that I require of you to meet. So the Lord is, again, not saying it's wrong to spend on yourself. Don't think that. That's not the point. We have to spend on ourselves. It's not the point to do the other things that we've talked about. The point is, is your desire, beloved, to grow the kingdom of God, or is it to to grow your kingdom? That's the point of his sermon in this particular section. And so now the Lord says, let's go on. Excuse me. So store up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. This is the positive of the statement. This is the positive command. In other words, if you're going to store anything, let it be the riches that God will use to reach souls, the things that last for eternity. Now, in the illustration here, just so you understand why Jesus is using this, in the ancient days, the rich people would wear clothing that was woven with threads of gold. And so they would parade themselves in those items so that the people would be in awe of them. The problem was, they still couldn't keep the moths from eating their clothing. And so Jesus picks up on that and he says, Look, no matter how wealthy you are, you can do with it what you want its possessions in this world, but the moths are still going to get it. They're still going to take care of that. And he uses the illustration of the thieves because, as we know, thieves were a real problem in Palestine. That's where the Good Samaritan story comes from. But these, these uh, thieves would often rob and would often kill people to take what they wanted. And so to keep thieves from stealing from people, people would bury either in their home or in the yard or something their goods, their monies. And so when Jesus says a thief will Break through that literally means dig through. So because the houses were made of mud, usually that meant that the thief would have to dig through the wall in order to get in and find your goods. And so the Lord is saying, look, don't store your possessions here in earthly wares where somebody's going to be able to dig through your mud wall or dig through the dirt in your ground and find what you have. Instead, put your valuable things in the things of God. That's what's lasting. It's going to be more useful to you and to the things of God. You and I both know there is no place on this earth where your material possessions are safe, are they? I mean, how many stories could we tell about this? The number of things that have come out over the years, how people have lost their money. You and I even today have an app on our phone with our bank where we can turn off our credit card quickly. Why do we have that? Because as digital as we've gone... There are smart people out there who know how to retrieve your information, right? There's no place safe in this world. And so the Lord's point is, again, come on, wake up. Put your riches that I give you in the things that are gonna last. I was kind of amused, not really, but kind of in a sick way, I guess. Amused at a bank robbery that happened. Actually, it was an armored place. It was called the Dunbar Armed Robbery. Do you hear about that? Back in 1997, on September the 12th, it was the largest cash robbery ever in the United States. $18.9 million cash robbery. These six men got in there, one guy who worked for the facility, and were able to heist the money and get out of there in one of the most secure places that anybody could put their money. I mean, it's just, again, a point that there is no place in this world that we can have that's safe enough. But in heaven... Everything is safe. Isn't that awesome? That's what the Lord's saying. Hey, look, go to the bank. Go to the treasury. And somebody's going to be able to get it. But in heaven, everything that you put there is safe and nobody's going to get it. God will use it for his glory and for your good. To all of that, Jesus now says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. It's almost as if he's saying, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you get the point here? In other words, the treasures of a man are inseparable from his heart. It's just inseparable. The things that you treasure the most, what you are the lover of the most, is inseparable from you. It cannot be separated. So if your focus is on these things and just having more and saving more and building up your bank accounts all for yourself, it gives your heart away. It tells God where your heart is. In fact, it tells everybody else where your heart is and what your focus is on. Again, meaning you can't have a heart for God and a heart for gaining things for yourself at the same time. It's not possible. It just doesn't work that way. Why? Because you'll always be divided. You cannot be a lover of two things simultaneously in the truest sense of the word because your heart will be divided. I guess we were going to say it more simply. We would say just because you put your treasure into something, just because you put your treasure into something doesn't mean your heart's there, right? But when your heart is there, your treasures will be obvious. Does that make sense? People can put a lot of money into a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that that's where their heart is. But when you have it the other way around, it will certainly expose you for who you are. All right, now... Very quickly, and we'll go through this quickly, to illustrate his point, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, Jesus uses two illustrations to just elaborate on this point. First one is the human eye. Notice in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if you have good eyes, the eyes take in light, the brain processes that light, and it's able to see the images that the light through the eye is taking in. But if your eye is bad... If you're blind, you can't do that. They would have got that. We get that. That makes sense to us. And so he says, when your hearts are pure before the Lord, it lets in truth, right? When your heart is right, the truth comes in, and we can live the life God wants from us. Everything will be seen clearly and correctly. Spiritually, you'll be clear. And that's the meaning of his statement here, the whole body will be full of light. He's speaking of the spiritual body. Your whole spirit will be full of the right kind of light. The word clear here in verse 22 means single, single single-minded devotion. When he says your eye will be clear, it means it will have a single-minded devotion for the things of God. One writer said this, if our hearts are clear, our whole spiritual life will be flooded with spiritual understanding or light. So it's a good summary. But the opposite is just as true. If your eye is not clear, your soul or your body will be filled with darkness, spiritual darkness, lacking spiritual understanding. And that's what he says here in the verse. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Interestingly, the word bad here is a word for evil. And it's sometimes translated as evil eye. Listen to this it's interesting, which is a Jewish way of thinking. And in the Jewish way of thinking, to use that statement, evil eye meant stingy or selfish. So when that phrase was used, that's what they understood, which which makes Proverbs 28, 22 even more fitting, which is what we read a minute ago. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. What's he saying? A man who is stingy, a man who is selfish, chases after earthly wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. In other words, he doesn't even pay attention to the fact it will not last. It's going to go away. And so Jesus again uses that illustration to say when the eye or the heart is bad, the soul is selfish, it is stingy, and it seeks its own way materially, and that person then is deemed spiritually blind. They do not understand. The sad part is that person thinks they see. And there are many people like that. They think they see, but in reality, they're blind to the truth of God when it comes to the matters of possessions and hoarding money. In other words, we could say he or she is self deceived. They're self deceived, just like the rich young ruler. He thought he was living right, but he knew something was wrong, and so he comes to Jesus and says, Okay. Either he wanted accolades from Jesus to say, oh, attaboy, you've done all you need to do. But Jesus pierced his heart and said, okay, here's the one thing you've not given to me. It's your stuff. I want your stuff. Now that's not what he said. I want your heart. Because your heart is indicative of what you have, and what you have is indicative of your heart. And Jesus says, to all of that, great is that darkness. What does he mean? It's awfully hard to overcome that It's not impossible for the Lord but it's awfully hard listen when you're stingy and you're selfish with with your stuff and you're not giving to God as God would want you to give with an open heart as you choose to give it's very very difficult to penetrate that and many people have gone to their graves with stingy selfish hearts not serving the Lord the way they should be here's the final illustration our allegiance Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Again, just as we have treasures both in heaven and earth, and neither can we have spiritual eye and light and darkness at the same time, you can't serve two masters. Now, in Jesus' day, they would have understood this well. You and I have never been a slave to anyone. He's not talking about an employer here. He's not talking about employer-employee relationship. As employers or employees, you have the freedom to do what you want to do with that job. You can leave, you can stay. But a slave doesn't have that right. A slave is a slave. A slave is a person that is there because they're under the care and the mercy of their master. And they know nothing about freedom. They know nothing about being able to go and do what they want to do. If you understand slavery, a slavery has no rights. They're all gone. Their independence is gone. Their life is no longer their own. Many people have lived and lost their lives under the very brutal hand of a master. But the difference here is, beloved, that our master is gracious and kind and loving and benevolent. He even says, hey, you are my servants, you are my slaves, but I'm going to provide everything you need and not only that i will provide for you abundantly malachi says look will i not pour out open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing basically like you've never seen before you see that's the difference in our god but our god demands still our full heart he is the master saying you must follow me and you must serve me to which men and women in the scriptures got the point. Paul was one. Paul referred to himself in the book of Romans chapter 1 as a bondservant, and that meant that he willfully wanted to serve God out of his own volition. There was no desire for him to go another direction. He says, no, this is my God. I willfully surrender my heart to him, and that's the way God's true servants view themselves. In the book of Galatians, Paul made it very clear he says in Galatians 1, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? No, I'm a bondservant. I want to please God. Am I striving for men? No. If I were still trying to if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. You see, it's the same point. I can't live my life pleasing men and serve God at the same time. I can't even please myself. I've got to please God. I can't do both. I can't live in this life that way. And so to all of this, the Lord says, then you serve me with your full heart. Listen, the point is, concerning the master and the slave, a slave knows no part-time service. There's no such thing as a slave who's part-time. It is full-time. It is a full-time obligation to the master. To take that away, or to do anything else less with that, is to make the master less than who the master is. You see, God is not the master of our souls if we are living under the mastery of something or someone else, right? You follow that logic? For God to be our master, the master, capital M, of all the universe, we cannot serve anything else in this life. And we've already identified the fact that we are greatly affected by the possessions that we have. We feel the pull of that servanthood and that servitude to these things that would draw us away from the master. And so we're to live in repentance and understand this problem in our heart and surrender ourselves fully. Again, God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be diligent in what we do. We're to work for what we have. But our issue is our heart. Where's our heart? Am I making the money that I'm making? Am I building up the possessions I'm building up so that I can just be fat, dumb, and happy one day? Or is it because I want to see how many people I can bless before I leave this planet in service to God? To which finally Jesus says, and we'll make this the last part to put our treasures into God's work, and that should be obvious. Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, he, was told, he told Israel. Honor the Lord from your wealth. That's a good question to ask yourself on a daily basis. Lord, am I honoring you with my wealth? Am I honoring you with my wealth? Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. They They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Listen, for by your standard of measure. Here's a good tool. For by your standard of measure, the Lord says, it will be measured to you in return. It's very simple. Very simple principle. What you put in the ground is what you'll get out. The Lord says you want to give sacrificially, you're going to be blessed sacrificially. You decide. What you use to measure out of your heart is how you'll be rewarded. Now this is not a prosperity thing. This is just a simple gardening principle. And the Lord is using that. He's just simply saying, here's how it works. God will provide for you exactly what you give back to him. Because that exposes where your heart is. Okay, so let's not get lost in that thinking that some teach a prosperity kind of thing. Oh, you give this and God will dump bunches on you. Well, God may, but he may not. That's not the issue. That's for him to decide. What he's saying to you is, you give out of your heart and I'll make sure your needs are taken care of. So I guess our final question to ourselves would be very simply, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? I I think that's what the Lord is asking us. As he's seated there on the side of the hill and he's looking at those people in their faces and they're so confused about their leaders and what they've been watching, these lovers of money, he's saying to them, hey folks, listen, just tell me, where's your treasure? Well, I'll tell you, he says, and I'm using a paraphrase in my own phraseology here, if you will. I think Jesus is saying back to them, here's where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. Examine your heart and then you'll know where your treasure is. And if you put your treasure in me and the eternal things of God, then I will use it and I will bless others and you in turn will be blessed. But if you're stingy and you're selfish and you're rebellious and you're stubborn and you're just hoarding things for yourselves, it's not a good deal. It's not a good deal. We either have treasures on this side of earth, or excuse me, of heaven, or we have treasures in heaven. Pretty simple. Okay, well let's pray together. Father, we thank you Uh, for the blessedness of your word that cleanses us and as one pastor used to say, a good holy scrubbing. Father, we have been so blessed here at Laurel Hill with so wonderful, so many wonderful givers who understand these principles but uh, Lord, as we're going through verse by verse, precept upon precept through this gospel, uh, we don't want to leave anything out. We want to be reminded because we know that circumstances arise where uh, maybe we got this or that as a blessing that we didn't understand, especially here now at Christmas. At uh, this time, our country sets aside as an acknowledgement of our Lord and Savior as you gave to us the greatest and the most glorious treasure heaven had, your Son, the Lord Jesus. What a great sacrifice. No sacrifice could compare to that, his life and his death, his resurrection. Lord, how easily we're so distracted by the possessions of this life, the worldly things of this life. And it just so exposes our hearts. You already know them. It's not for you to see, but it's for us to see. And so Lord, as we often pray, help us to see our flesh. Help us to see what's wrong. Lord, we thank you that it's not a matter of losing our salvation. We praise you for that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, Lord, we do thank you that you also want us to be holy in every area of our lives. So help us to examine where our treasures really are. And, Lord, help us not to be anxious over the things of this life when it comes to giving up, because we know that's next. When we do give up, our sin will struggle and say, Ugh, what if I need this for something? I'm going to give it, but ugh. We thank you, Lord, that that's what you'll cover next. And so, Lord, we give of this time to you, and, and if you will, Father, just receive our worship in our hearts. Lord, we praise you and we honor you, and we, we acknowledge our weakness before you, and we know that we need your help constantly. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such a wonderful master, so kind and so faithful. Lord, we just want to serve you, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing once more. am i that the devil?